I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hello, everybody. It's the Wong Takes, and it's a, it's another sick day, unfortunately. I am uh, sniffly and fighting to stay in it. I'm recording this, and... It's getting dark outside, and it's mighty early. And I was just, I, I know this is a sports podcast, but hey, I, I am a citizen in the world. And look, uh, I live in California, in the United States, and California voters voted overwhelmingly, about 60 to 40, I think, uh, to ask the legislature to uh, keep us on permanent daylight savings time. In other words, we would never set the clocks back. And so our days would go longer, but we'd have to get up in the dark. Um, Now, even though California is voting for this, uh, that's not the end of it. That's just telling the California legislature to approve your on daylight savings time. Then, this is via the San Francisco Chronicle, legislature would have to approve it by a two-thirds vote, and then Congress would have to let California uh, do its thing and not be on... Uh, daylight savings time. I don't know. I felt like I I personally would be in favor of that because these late sunrise or these early sunsets are a pain in the butt. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, in my opinion, we should get sunlight later because it being dark at four o'clock is not something I want in the winter, and it just seems uh, kind of depressing. But anyway, that's enough jibber jabber. Uh, let, let's get into the real reason you clicked on, you downloaded this podcast from Apple Podcasts or Google Play uh, Podcasts or wherever, and that is because you want to hear me and you want to talk about sports. So now we're two minutes in, and let's get underway. Uh, first topic, we are actually not going to start out with football this week on this uh, wonderful sick day. We're going to talk about a trade that went down this last week. Jimmy... Butler, the former Chicago Bull, now former Minnesota Timberwolf, the troubled star, was traded this week to the Philadelphia 76ers. Trade was 76ers sending Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and Jared Bayless, as well as a 2022 second round pick in exchange for Butler and Justin Patton. So, I mean... Looking back, this Butler trade had to happen because after the powder keg of uh, anger and distrust and poor chemistry had exploded in the form of a practice in which Jimmy Butler loaded, uh, unloaded on everyone, yelling at everyone, saying, you can't win without me with some expletives inserted in various places. Once that happened, oh, the funniest anecdote from Elmina Al Hassan was uh, Jimmy Butler taking the third stringers and beating the starters. Um, but after that happened, nothing was going to put that situation back together. I don't care how much playing together unites everyone or how much Derek Rose united everyone. You, you weren't going to be able to sustain a high level of play with Jimmy Butler just sitting there stewing off to the side the entire time. And... We had started to see that because before this trade happened, the Timberwolves, I'm sure part of the reason this trade happened was because the Timberwolves had lost five straight. Now, I mean, beyond 
uh, just looking to see if they can get a good deal. I'm sure part of the reason the Timberwolves brass hadn't traded Butler to that point uh, that they did trade him was because they were looking to see, look, can we make this work? Because for all of his flaws, Jimmy Butler is a really talented uh, player. And the Timberwolves weren't going to give away someone like that for free just because he was upset with the uh, with the uh, front office. And so, but this trade had to happen because the Timberwolves were kind of toast. Now, obviously, these teams are not the same, but the, one of the first things I thought about when the 76ers made this trade is if you can, this is kind of the Kevin Durant move. Now, the pieces are different. Jimmy Butler is not the same game-changing star Kevin Durant is. But take a look at the situations. Uh, With the 76ers, you've got the homegrown talent of Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, uh, who has a whack free-throw shooting uh, form. But nonetheless, they're talented players. And the Warriors started with homegrown talent. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. Uh, even going Harrison Barnes there too. Um, Harrison Barnes is like the Sarge in the situation, and Rocco can be Andrew Bogut. But either way, what the Sixers did with this trade is they are sacrificing some depth, uh, and it, it is significant depth. Like the Warriors traded away significant piece or had to get unload significant pieces to get Kevin Durant. But what are you adding? You're adding a superstar, um, and. I'm not quite sure how the chemistry is going to work out with this team because with the Warriors, Kevin Durant was unselfish enough that the team, he was able to mesh with everyone basically instantly. And the Warriors in the time since, we've seen the fruits of their labor have won three out of four championships. Uh, And, oh wow, it's already been, it's already been uh, two years with Durant, time flies. But anyway. The, the the 76ers are going to face the same arguments the Warriors did, and I think one of the more pressing ones is the whole there's only one ball argument. I mean, Jimmy Butler is very talented, but he's known for being kind of difficult to work with. Uh, and so I don't know if he's going to... I don't think he's going to fit in with them immediately as well as Durant did. And I don't know how inclined it, Jimmy Butler is to work without the ball. Because the one of the key points to Warriors offense is you don't have to have the ball to make an impact. But with the 76ers, I mean, their talent is more ball-heavy, ball-dominant talent. Like, how is Jimmy going to share the ball, primary ball-handling duties with Markel Fultz, for instance? I know Jimmy Butler is a forward, but he likes to have the ball. So I'm not quite sure how that piece is going to fit, but we're going to see over the course of the next couple of months. Um, and also a big difference from the Warriors is the 76ers are now moving, <clears throat> with the exception of maybe like J.J. Redick, uh, the 76ers are moving inwards. Look at the talent they've got. Joel Embiid has a phenomenal post presence. Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz don't shoot from the outside. Uh, they work inside. And now Jimmy Butler, who can shoot from the outside, but would prefer to work, uh, to work within the arc. So that's going to be the major difference. The 76ers are going to be trying to work inside and maybe pose, uh, act as a counterweight to the Golden State Warriors. And as far as the whole franchise goes, I mean, this was the culmination of the process. Trust the process, trust the process, trust. For a decade, we heard it. And now this is what this was building up to. They get a franchise-changing superstar, and probably for the long term, um, because he is, I think he's intent on signing a multi-year deal after this season. Uh, and, and 
Jimmy should get a feel for being the alpha male in this system, as opposed to the Timberwolves, where uh, you had Cat, uh, who was probably the best or most well-known player on that team. Now Jimmy Butler gets to fit in with Embiid, who's still growing. Although he's a big name, he's still growing. And then Simmons and Fultz, who are a few years away from being in their primes. So this is what the 76ers wanted to do with the process, and we're about to watch them uh, ball out. All right, it's been eight minutes, and we haven't talked football yet. That's too long. Let's talk some football. College football, week 11. Yeah, so, I mean, taking a look at the scores, I mean, it it wasn't the most, shall I say, eventful of weekends in, in the CFB I really couldn't have put it better than Stan Verrett did on SportsCenter. And this Saturday was Stay Put Saturday because not much changed. I mean, if we take a look, I mean, we're not going to list every single score, but if you take a look at the scores, there weren't any major upsets. Teams held serve. Uh, And only a few teams really struggled, and that would probably be maybe number seven, uh, Oklahoma. But that's about it. I mean, most te- or number six, Oklahoma, and maybe number seven, LSU. But most teams were able to hold on. So we're going to just go over some quick stories uh, that we saw from this weekend. First, we're going to take a look within the top four and take a look at the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs because they both, or sorry, and the Clemson Tigers. These teams both faced top five or top 25 competition this week. Bama in the form of a conference foe, Mississippi State, and Clemson with BC, Boston College, in the game that uh, I think game day went to, which shows that it was was seen as a pretty big game this week. But ultimately, what ended up happening was both defenses held steady. Uh, Now, neither of these teams are super explosive, but just taking a look at it, I mean, they're not facing bums. Uh, and the fact that Bama was able to beat Mississippi State 24 nothing, and uh, Clemson held off Boston College 27-7. to I think it really says something. Oh, and this is Alabama's second straight shutout, by the way, against a ranked opponent. Uh, I think it says something that even as a person who follows college football pretty closely, uh, even though I'm not, like, super in-depth, with every single team. I, fo- I follow college football, but I had no doubts coming in that either game, that neither game uh, was going to be close because these teams are so stacked both on offense and defense. Uh, and, and I was right also that, that neither of these games would be super competitive. Just how far these two teams, uh, and I think what we've learned over the last uh, few meetings or a few weeks is that Clemson has jumped into that upper echelon with Alabama as those teams that they're so good, they smudge your, they smudge and bludgeon? They dominate you for 40 or for 60 minutes. And these two teams are really on a crash course because they have not been, other than Clemson playing Syracuse, they haven't, neither of them have been like incredibly tested yet. And I think we're going to see that when they play each other, hopefully, because that will be a marquee matchup of marquee matchups uh, for the what third time in four years. But these two teams have really separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Uh, Georgia beat 
uh, number 24, Auburn, 27-10, to 10, to kind of prove themselves again uh, after their loss, uh, after their loss to uh, LSU. They've come back and beaten three straight ranked opponents uh, in the form of Florida, Kentucky, and now Auburn. Um, and all three of those were SEC opponents, and two of the games were at home. So they have set themselves up, Georgia has, to control their own destiny. And at the end of the day, that's all you really want as, as a football team is to be able to say, look, look at your teammates and say, if we win out, we are in. If we win out, we are in. And the, with the quality wins that they've piled up, they're looking really good where if they're able to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, I'm, I think I'm putting them over a team like Michigan or over a Notre Dame even because this team has enough quality wins where if they get that cherry on top in the form of Alabama, they are, um, they are good enough to make the college football playoff. And I think what might end up happening, especially if Alabama stumbles before the SEC championship game, is their matchup with Alabama in the SEC championship game could end up being a quarterfinal. I think last year we had a few uh, what I dubbed quarterfinals because essentially it was a win and you're in for both of the teams. Let's say they were five and six. And if you win, you get that quality win. Um, And if you lose, you're done because you get your second loss or you're just not good enough as a one-loss team. And so this matchup could be a quarterfinal even if Alabama is undefeated. But especially if Alabama loses a game, like, say, in the Iron Bowl, this matchup becomes a quarterfinal. And that's ultimately what you want in college football is you want drama. Because in college football, the great thing is that every game matters. But especially when you get to this late in the year and you get these quality teams and you get the championship games where you get two teams with one loss fighting for a division crown and they're five and six. This is what we live for in college football. My voice sounds horrible right now. This is what we live for in college football. Um, and that's what I'm excited to look forward to. Next uh, in college football is the game that I spent most of my uh, college football day watching, and that would be Bedlam, uh, as it's affectionately known, or the matchup, the interstate matchup between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. This was the Big 12 at its best, because with the Big 12, you know what you are getting when you turn on that television. You know you are getting high-powered offenses. You know you are getting... Uh, 60 yard throws with cornerbacks getting beat on every other play and that's what we saw Oklahoma ended up winning 48 to 47 after a failed two-point conversion from uh from the Cowboys in the in the last minute and I don't think we expected anything different I mean these offenses are confident or these offenses in this game were confident enough to uh, know that they could score pretty much when they wanted um, but looking at the bigger picture for a second, Oklahoma, if they want to compete for a national championship and show the college football com- uh, playoff committee that they are a team that is deserving of a spot, your defense cannot get lit up like this. There were 1,300 yards, over 1,300 yards of combined offense in this game, and 640 came from Oklahoma State, who are 5-5. Five and five. Um, while they ended up winning this game, Oklahoma very well could have lost this game uh, with one better throw by Taylor Cornelius at the end. 
501 yards passing for Cornelius. If you want to impress the committee, um, winning isn't everything right now. Winning is a lot of the thing. And you have to win to stay alive, but you also have to prove that you're better than the teams in front of you. And Oklahoma, especially in contrast with a team like Michigan or Notre Dame, they are not showing that they are better than that because they just outscored, flat out outscored Oklahoma State. Um, and if your defense is giving up 640 yards uh, to uh, to Oklahoma to a five and four team, now five and five team, that's not impressive. On the other hand, that offense has so much pro-ready talent. Um, first of all, Kyler Murray, watching him not only throw the ball, but run the ball, uh, his speed is unreal. I mean, the Michael Vick comparisons, even though I never watched Michael Vick, are warranted just seeing highlights and all. It's like Canyon. It's really too bad that he's playing baseball. He got drafted by the A's, I think it was last year. Um, I think he's going to go pro in Major League Baseball. Um, which is probably better for his health. But he uh, he would have so much potential if he went to the NFL. Um, and then also Marquise Brown and CeeDee Lamb, Hollywood Brown, two of the receivers from Oklahoma, have wheels for days. Uh, their speed, combined with Murray's arm, uh, you can see pretty quickly why this Oklahoma offense is uh, so good. Finally, there's a few more games. Uh, Ohio State handling Michigan State. The special teams actually got a pretty big shout-out in this game because two pins by the uh, by the one, by the punter from Ohio State, ended up netting them about, I think, nine points from a safety and a touchdown. Yeah, special, it's good to see special teams still important, getting some shout-outs. Um, and then next week is dead week for college football because if you take a look at the schedule, every team has scheduled uh, pretty easy opponents because... The goal is, two weeks from now, uh, is rivalry week, rivalry week, where you get games like Washington and Washington State, and you get games like uh, Michigan and Ohio State, and Syracuse and BC. You get good games like that. And so teams want to schedule some cupcakes, and so you've got games like Alabama versus the Citadel, and Ohio State versus Maryland. And the one good game is probably Notre Dame and Syracuse, which is actually a surprise good game because Syracuse is unranked coming into the year. So I I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Maybe we'll do a little uh, where we stand with the college football playoff. Uh, But either way, uh, it's already going to be the second to last regular season week, so it's really never too early to start talking about playoff scenarios. Um, And I'm excited to do that uh, coming up uh, on the Wong Takes. It'll already be... Uh, Thanksgiving week, which is, uh, Thanksgiving's a little earlier this week. Uh, maybe we'll cover the, um, match between Tiger and Phil. Um, but it's going to be a good couple of weeks. Third on this sick day episode of the Wong Takes, the second in about five months. We're going to go to the NFL, and I can't believe it's already week 10. Most teams have played nine games, some have played 10. Uh, and we're already looking toward the playoff picture, playoff push as some surprise teams make their way toward the finish line. And we are going to go over the games of the week, starting with a battle in the NFC West between the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. While the Rams now have a five-game lead over the division, this was by no means a gimme because the Seahawks showed up for this game. 
they really put up a solid performance in the first quarter and, and were able to make uh, a good run, get, make give the Rams a real run for their money. Um, but the Rams were able to uh, pull one out. And hold on, after a late touchdown from Seattle, I think the big takeaway from this game is the Rams' defense is still struggling, despite all the talent they have, uh, from Aaron Donald to Dominic Sue to uh, Dante Fowler Jr., the new uh, acquisition from Jacksonville. This team is pretty talented on the defensive end, and for them to give up 414 yards this week uh, against the Seattle Seahawks, and then last week getting blown up uh, against the Saints, giving up uh, 487 yards. I mean, that's almost 500 yards two weeks in a row. Uh, if this team wants to win a Super Bowl, you can't be having bad games like this because maybe you can get away with it against the Seahawks, but if if you don't, more games are going to turn out like the New Orleans game. If you play the Chiefs, say, in the Super Bowl, teams are outscoring you. Uh, you can't rely on outscoring the elite teams in the league, even the Patriots. Um, and the rushing attack in particular. I mean, up front, uh, Seattle has, or the Rams look like they're super powerful, but the Seattle Seahawks had eight yards of carry, um, and actually had more yards per carry than, than the Rams did. Three, 34 rushes for, uh, 273 total yard or for 273 rushing yards. That, that's unacceptable, um, if you're the Rams. So, whether that's a scheme problem, or just an effort problem, you gotta start to take a look at that, uh, if you're Los Angeles and you're Sean McVay. Next, uh, the Seattle or the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers tore up the uh, Car- Carolina Panthers. Let's briefly go over that. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger. For all the talk about Tom Brady being the ageless one, Ben Roethlisberger pretty ageless too. In this game, he threw five touchdown passes for five different receivers, and in particular, as someone who doesn't watch too many Steelers games, because I'm here on the West Coast, um, what's particularly struck me is how much he's done with Vance McDonald. I mean, back on with the Niners, Vance McDonald uh, was a Talented player, but at best, he was only able to, um, he, he, he was kind of inconsistent. Uh, and in this game, he had four receptions for 44 yards and a touchdown. He's been playing well for Pittsburgh. I always see him on those highlight packages. Um, but also just having Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster on the outside uh, is, is almost unfair. And we're seeing some of the best offenses in the league giving room, given room to work, just lighting up opponents. The Cowboys beat the Eagles 27-20. to Dak Prescott, the clock is really ticking on Dak Prescott because, I mean, this is a, it's only his second, second or third year, uh, second full year, but it's a, it's a what have you done for me lately league, and obviously he has so much potential, um, and he's still young, but he struggled for a lot of this game, but he was able to lead his team to a win uh, in the fourth quarter, and the Eagles are really in trouble now at four and five. Uh, with a tough schedule on the back end. I, I know they're hurt, uh, and the injury to Ronald Darby uh, is, sucks as well. But they've got to overcome that. They need to work on with the running game um, and spreading the ball around from Carson Wentz. Although Carson Wentz can't do everything. Um, but it, he's going to be ultimately the guy that is going to get them back to a winning record if he is able to. Bears... Beat the Lions 34-22. Mitchell Trubisky had another great performance, and that's the main thing from this game. 355 yards and three touchdowns. But the Bears only had 54 rushing yards in this game. When you have a back, a power back like Jordan Howard, 
You need more north-south rushing from him. He only, he had 11 carries for only 21 yards and still doesn't have any 100-yard rushing games on the year. When you have a talent like Jordan Howard, and we saw what he could do last year, and you don't have him with any 100-yard games. Heck, the Lions have more 100-yard games than Jordan Howard does, or Carrion does. And so you want to take some of it off the shoulders of Trubisky if you want to win the NFC North, because they are in first place right now with the Vikings on a bye this last week, and them starting the week with the same record, and the Bears win. They're now 6-3 and three, to the Vikings 5-3, and three, and they're now in first place. Uh, so if they want to stay there, it's going to be getting the rushing attack back to full form. Because the defense is there. I mean, Khalil Mack is a beast. If you saw the highlight where he bowled over a couple of guys, that defense is there. So it's just the offense um, and the running game getting back to full form is what's going to get the Lions or the Bears uh, into the playoffs. And finally, we have the Giants and the Niners, Bosa Bowl 3, taking place on Monday Night Football. Uh, as a Niners fan, this was not the greatest of games to watch. Because the Achilles heel of this team, or not Achilles heel, one of the major flaws of this team continues to be the defense. I mean, even when Garoppolo was there lighting teams up, it was the defense that we knew was probably going to be the weak spot. Especially on the outside. Odell Beckham Jr. had a big game, uh, scoring two touchdowns and just running past cornerbacks. Akello Witherspoon had a particularly rough night. Um, but and it was that team that let Eli Manning, Eli Manning, who's uh, you know been struggling this year, Eli Manning let him march down the field with with the help of some questionable penalties, I will say, but still letting Eli Manning march down the field with relative ease uh, and score a touchdown to win the game. Nick Mullins is still showing promise, in particular converting on third down, making some big throws. Um, he was given opportunities with their, his guys getting open on slants and. Uh, he was able to hit them, to his credit. Uh, and he, and he, he led the team to 23 points, and that's not insignificant with this Niners team. Uh, but like I said, it's going to be the defense that either helps them out uh, in the future or is going to continue to let them down. Quick take. It's some Warriors drama. The Warriors have suspended Draymond Green one game because uh, after Kevin Durant, uh, or after he lost the ball at the end of regulation against the Clippers and the Warriors' overtime loss last night. Uh, Kevin Durant was unhappy with him for not giving him the ball, uh, and they got into an altercation, and Draymond brought up free agency, and it's just kind of a mess right now. And so uh, this is the Warriors' dysfunction. I mean, a lot of people are eating this up. NBA Twitter is eating this up because finally this Warriors dynasty, this perfect team that's gone on for so long, is now finally having some... Uh, discomfort shall we say but I mean I mean the Warriors went through there was a time when the Warriors went through a similar thing I think it was last year when they were mad at each other and they were able to work it out because um of the talent they have and of the camaraderie they've built and look these guys are passionate players I mean they're gonna want to do what's best for the team and they're gonna want personal glory um but I don't think this case is particularly any different from what we have what we see in typical locker rooms after a loss, I don't think this is any any different with talks about, you know, blah, 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 free agency, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's just a product of circumstances. I think they'll get over this pretty quickly. They've got the Hawks tonight. It's a pretty uh, not-too-difficult chance to bounce back. I may have jinxed it, but, I mean, look, this Hawks team is not the best team in the league, and they're going to have a chance to bounce back without Draymond, without Steph. And I think they'll work this out. 
That's just what, what my opinion is. I'm sorry for the thumps. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, with my voice, it's so bad. Uh, send fan questions. Send voicemails. Check out the podcast on all the links. Bit.ly slash the long takes. Patreon.com slash the long takes. Long takes at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you so much for listening. I will try not to be sick next week. Um, and I will see you, as always, next week.